Good morning. It's Thursday, May 21st. We're reading through the Bible. Our Old Testament reading is in 1 Chronicles. Reading three chapters today, chapters 3, 4, and 5. And as I said yesterday, this is a lot of names. But the names here very important in chapter 3. I mean, all the names are important, but these are particularly important as David's line and his descendants are discussed, this kingly line, the dynasty through Solomon. And I say that because even though we have the United Kingdom in Saul, David, and Solomon, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, ends up being this uh, dynastic kingdom in the south in Judah that will carry all the way through uh, to Jesus Christ. So this is an important lineage here in chapter 3. Chapter 4, we go back now all the way to Judah and we follow the Judean line uh, back from the patriarchs and we have that very interesting verse in verse number 9 that you're going to run across if you're not skimming too quickly through this and uh, if you've been around the Christian uh, circles for a while you'll remember this was made way too much of in most evangelical circles, but that prayer of Jabez. Jabez prays there in verse number 9 uh, things wouldn't be pain for him, that God would uh, increase and, and expand his borders, and strangely enough, that statement that apparently wasn't uh, as selfish as it appears to be on the surface was responded to positively by God, but nevertheless that may catch your attention uh, as you read through chapter 4. Chapter 5, we get the Transjordan tribes, which are out to the east of the Jordan River, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. You remember those uh, three tribes, or at least two and a half tribes, that wanted to settle to the east of the Jordan, and uh, their lineage is discussed, and how they settled. Uh, you get those names in chapter 5. Uh, the woman caught him in adultery in John 8, which you'll see at the beginning of this section in your Bibles, that this story was not found in the earliest manuscripts of uh, John 8. I love the transparency and the honesty of the New Testament scholarship as we recognize uh, there was a couple of sections, the longer ending of Mark, and then here in John 8, these two pericopes are, uh, in this case, the pericope of the story of the woman caught in adultery that uh, may in fact have been a, uh, a real historic encounter with Christ, but it wasn't part of what was initially in the Gospel of John. So uh, for what that's worth, it's an interesting story, and certainly we learn a lot about how Christ responds in those situations. Uh, Jesus also talks in the rest of this passage all the way to verse 20. That's our reading, John 8, uh, chapters one, verses 1 through 20. And Jesus gives that statement after saying yesterday, the uh, living water here. He talks about being the light of the world and um, so many motifs or so much of that motif throughout the scripture. Uh, just the concept of light, um, God being light and in him no darkness. That uh, idea of him illuminating and being truth and being um, all that is good and righteous and everything else in contrast to him is less than. And so we see Christ making a very bold statement about himself. Our community imperative, our community command, as we continue through Philippians 4 is found in verse number 5 when it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. That word reasonableness, that's a tricky uh, Greek word and lexically as you study that word, if you take time to do it, you'll find the um, kind of the hard meaning, the, the meaning that's difficult, it seems to decipher, translated different ways, forbearance or gentleness. But it has that idea of being able to be calm in the midst of difficulty. And the reason it's a community imperative because it says, let it be known to everyone. Let everyone see this in your life, that they would be able to see your calmness no matter what the situation is. And I love the fact that it's paired with that phrase in verse number five, the Lord is at hand. The reason that you should be able to be calm and carry on as that old poster said from wartime in, in England, uh, is because you are 
at God's right hand, that you are God's child, that you have the thing that matters most, which is God in your life and a good, right relationship with him so that you can be calm, you can stay uh, centered, you can have, as even the word sometimes translates, gentleness, you can have the ability to be gentle and not reactive and not volatile and not frenetic and not crazed because you are right with God. Let that be known to someone and not to boast about your own walk with God, but make sure that you're showing, even when other people are freaking out, that you can be calm. I think of this verse sometimes when I go to a hospital or I'm at a bedside or at a funeral or something. I want my demeanor um, to be calming. I want it to be um, that, that strength in the midst of a difficult situation. And that's something we obviously derive from the Lord, but I want you to think about it today. How can you have a calming effect, be a rock in someone's life, be that stability for them, even by the things you say to them, how you help them respond to their situation. So community imperative, I put it this way, and though it's hard to translate, be gentle, I would say, and reasonable with others. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness or your, your tranquility, your calmness be made known to other people. Be gentle and reasonable with each other in a way that comes, take all that meaning and jam into that little phrase, and you've got the essence of this community imperative. So tomorrow we're back, we're back with more as we continue to read through First Chronicles and the Gospel of John. Thank you.